You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe podcast, the Grolix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music Showcase, and more. We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogues, Snake Rattle Rattlesnake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy, and a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal Pete's. We're more than just a restaurant. So, let us put our food, and music, and comedy, and sports, inside you. Please. Please. Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 I'm from Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado. The best place to be for the end of the world between the North Pole and Nuevo Laredo. I'm Ron Doyle. Joining me today at Josh's Bourgie Enclave in the Hood are co-hosts Vanessa Martinez. Good morning, Vanessa. Good morning, Ron. It's not morning, it's afternoon. By the way, folks, we're recording this uh, in advance. It's actually Saturday uh, before when we'll publish, uh, just in case the world comes to an end. We want to make sure we're here. Let's pretend we're in the future. Josh, hi. We're also with me is Josh Johnson, co-host. Yeah, Hi, how's Josh. going? How are you doing? Pretty good. Good. Thanks for having us. And also joining us today is uh, travel writer, guidebook author, and 2012 Mayan expert, Josh Berman. Hi, Josh. Hey, everyone. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, some, some newsy bits. Uh, legislators have uh, officially started uh, an audit of Scott Gessler's potential misuse of public Funds. We've talked about this before, uh, that uh, Scott Gessler, uh, back in October, uh, Colorado Ethics Watch, um, claimed that Scott Gessler was misusing uh, his uh, public dollars on a trip to Florida uh, where he attended the Republican National Lawyers Association. Uh, He was attending a training and the Republican National Convention in Tampa to support Mitt Romney. in response, the Denver's uh, district attorney has actually launched a criminal investigation into the matter, and the Independent Ethics Commission has agreed to take on the case. Uh, this just broke early, and it's now finally starting to happen. And I was just just wondering, what do you think? What do you think is going to turn up? Scott Gessler, by the way, was our asshole of the year uh, for 2011, and I have a strong suspicion he'll also be a nominee for 2012. Uh, so uh, what, do you, what do you think? Do, is it legit for him to spend public dollars on this sort of thing, Vanessa? Well, no. I mean, that's, that's the, it's not legit because it's illegal. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, the, the question is... All right, moving on. We, we, there you go, folks. <laughs> I don't know why they're wasting all these public dollars on an investigation. We have the answers right here. I think it's also important to... It's $1,500. Not that it should matter that it's, you know... It, it, what the exact amount is? It could be fifteen dollars, and it would still be illegal. But um, I think we should keep that in perspective. But what's going to happen now is they're going to audit his entire uh, budget and make sure that he did not request dollars for more uneth- potentially unethical uh, 
criminal is what there's criminal charges in this in the midst of this too not just ethical charges um so yeah it'll be interesting to see what comes up i mean i think anytime any something like this it, it has to be investigated why wouldn't we what yeah and i think they probably have some level of evidence that they're they're privy to to make it worth the while to move forward yeah so they, it kind of it kind of implies that they're moving forward and that they're putting so many resources into the investigating that they if not know they strongly suspect with evidence you do tend to suspect, that there's wrongdoing you do tend to sus- suspect that if we're talking about it they're probably a little further along than right. we actually realize right. uh, in the process all right well uh, i just wanted to bring it up because you know we are taking nominations for asshole of the year scott gessler folks he's still in the running if you have other nominees make sure you email us uh find us on facebook or twitter uh, let us know who you want to be uh asshole of the year of 2000 for 2012 speaking of 12s uh a, this very extremely rare beer uh, brewed by Trappist monks in Belgium. Uh, it's called West Vletheren. I can't. I can't pronounce it. I'm going to butcher it. It's terrible. Uh, it's is wi- widely considered the world's greatest beer, uh, and historically, the only way you could get this beer is by actually going to the monastery in Belgium. You would have to call a hotline, see that they had the beer available, get yourself on a list, make an appointment, and then once a month you could go buy two cases of this beer at the monastery. That was it. Well, the monastery is kind of crumbling right now. They're looking for additional funds, so they've decided to do a very limited release in the United States. And the very first place they decided to sell was in Fort Collins. Uh, so uh, just, just last week we had uh, this beer on, for sale. Only 36 six-packs for sale at this uh, liquor store in Fort Collins. N- not just any liquor store? No, no. I was just going to say, there, actually, there were, four, uh, they, there were four locations in Colorado. There, there are. Uh, I, that's right. I'm sorry. We're speaking in the future. <laughs> that's right. So this is by, by now, the four locations have already happened. Fort Collins was the very first. Uh, and uh, at the Fort Collins location, if, things got apeshit crazy for this beer. Uh, it's $85 a six pack. And I just want to, you know, if we're talking about that today, we're, we're sort of playing off this idea that it, we might be getting near the end of the world. And if, if this, uh, I, I think the reason why this monastery is raising additional funds is because they're getting ready to leave the planet in their spaceship. And they, need, <laughs> they need to buy, sneakers. they're not building and they're not, they're not remodeling. They're, 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 creating an escape pod. I wonder if this is, are these the same monks that uh, sent a cease and desist to New Belgium years ago? They had that because uh, they used the word Trappist and they had monks on the, on the label. So for they, uh, and they changed the name of the beer to Angry Monk Ale. Yeah, or some, of it. something, right, to pissed off yeah. <laughs> capitalist monks. <laughs> now, I wonder, is it 85 bucks? Is it because they've got some bizarre exotic creature that consumes it and and pisses it out oh like like the coffee and the elephants and the Uh civet cats they yeah yeah, they started doing that was a recent news story as well with the elephant dung oh that's right they started pulling the coffee out of an elephant's ass as well as a cat (laughs) oh bye jove Brilliant. That's the second time you said by Jove today. Am is I? This, am I? Is it the season? I, it's it's cloudy outside. Oh, and by Jove! Like really? What have you been reading? I don't know. Because we're sitting here in Odyssey? the foyer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it, um, that's a good question. I don't I don't know what what the process is. I've actually heard from folks that have had the beer that the beer itself is not so spectacular to warrant the price. 
that it's really the process and the exclusivity and the rarity of it all. So I got to wonder for those folks that did shell out $85 for a six-pack, if they're drinking it right now saying, what the fuck was I thinking? I think it's one of those things to post on Facebook to be one of a, of a small number of people doing something. Sure, It's not absolutely. even the beer, you know. It's not the beer. It's saying I'm the only one that got this. Right. Right. I got one. Yeah, there was a woman, I think, in the Colorado, an article that you sent, Ron, who bought, uh, went to go buy a pack for, as, a, as a holiday gift. Yeah, she had no idea. She's like, oh, I'll go get one. That yeah. sounds yeah. nice. Yeah. And then she got there, and it was like hundreds of people lined up, and all, all the six-packs sold out in a matter of minutes. And, and the liquor store owner actually had to come outside and shout at people and say, hey, settle down. I'm going to keep all the beer for myself if you don't cool it because you, yeah. you guys are getting out of hand. People it's going shoving. on eBay. It's going on eBay. I'm going to sell it to the highest bidder, so don't do that. Um, if uh, you folks are listening to this podcast after December 21st and it, the world has not come to an end, uh, a Longmont man is doing his best to ensure that we will end this planet one way or another. Uh, there's a gentleman in Longmont who has petitioned the White House at White House. It, you guys know about this, right? Whitehouse.gov. You can you yeah. can go on their website. You can create your own petition, and then people uh, can vote to sign the petition as well. Um, he has petitioned for the United for the United States to build a Death Star, as in the Star Wars Death Star, as in the Star Wars <laughs> Death Star, and. <laughs> As ridiculous as that sound, he's already received over 27,000 signatures to his petition, which means he's reached the cutoff point where the U.S. government has said they will actually respond to the request. Uh, After 25,000 signatures, they'll respond to the request. So, you know, um, I've, I've always had these questions about, is the United States becoming a little imperialist? And now, becoming? if <laughs> it's becoming a little really, <laughs> really, Ron, <are> you just <laughs> is it is it an empire? <laughs> and and now and now I'm really like, well, if we go forward, do you do you think we should build a Death Star? Uh, what would we do with a Death Star? Is really the question. We can't we can't travel back and forth to other stars and planets anyway. We'd say on Facebook that we have it's just like the beer. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why. That, that's why I built a Death Star. I, I, I don't think we have as much to worry about building a Death Star because I saw in the news somebody was building a life-sized Millennium Falcon. A full-sized Millennium it's, Falcon. Yeah, I just looked it up. It's actually it's called the Life-Size Millennium Falcon Project. And you well. can go to fullscalefalcon.com. And they're going to they're do it. They're going to build a exact life size. It won't fly, they say. Well, this is a good Yet. thing. This is a good thing because if the Death Star gets built, we're going to need the Millennium Falcon to help out to stop the Death That's Star. That's exactly what I'm suggesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. I... So we can go to war with ourselves? What? And maybe you... some of those rebel fighter ships, the X-Wings, I think is what they're called. That's what Luke... Yeah, the, X, X, the, yeah, the X-Wing yeah. fighters. Yeah, yeah. all that. I'm is... not... I'm going to resist geeking out on this right now because the temptation is huge. Is it coincidence that a new uh, Clerks movie is coming out where they discuss the the issue of the contractors who built the Death Star and, and what happened to those poor... Yeah, know, right. Yeah, just... yeah. That, yeah. That was the... the Collateral damage, I guess. Right. The collateral damage, right? The All workers. those construction workers. Yeah, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. I... I, I sort this is sort of a signal to me. In addition to previously, right after the election, when all of all of those various states individuals tried seceding from the United States via WhiteHouse.gov, really got to wonder: Has this this whole like we want your submissions thing gotten out of hand? Are people just getting a little loose 
loosey goosey and crazy with this, or or is this a good thing to have? I, I have no idea. I don't. I don't know either. I got to. I wonder. think it's a good thing. It's I guess, kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's it gets deal. another. It's another tool to g- give people a voice. Yeah. Right. And you know. And these. And these weird ones like this are probably facilitating real ones being submitted because people are becoming more aware that the option is available to suggest ideas. For sure. Anyone. Yeah. Good marketing. Yeah. It's great marketing. Yeah. You always take the nutbag to to get noticed. So. All right, we're going we're gonna to move on. Uh, that's it for the Newsy Bets. Uh, listeners, if you ever want to share a news story with us, rant about something we said, please leave a comment on denverdietribe.com, like us on Facebook, or drop a line at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. We're, gonna, we're talking about this just right after it's happened. Um, surely by the time this podcast comes out, there will be a lot more news on the topic, but we're going to, we're going to have to talk about the Connecticut, uh, elementary school shooting just a little bit. And there's a couple reasons why I want to talk about it, even though it's not specifically a Colorado story. Number one, because of everything that's been going on in Colorado this summer and in our past, when people are talking about Connecticut, Colorado comes up in the conversation. People drop mention of the Aurora theater shooting. They drop mention of Columbine repeatedly. So, Whenever things like this happen, it feels like Colorado has become uh, – we, we sort of get put in the spotlight as, as this place where this sort of thing is common. Uh, and then the other reason why I want to talk about uh, the Connecticut shooting is because I, almost hours before the shooting happened, uh, it was just the day before, Governor Hickenlooper uh, – put out a proposal saying we should revisit gun laws in Colorado. And in last week's podcast, that was actually Jared's, uh, our co-host's hate, uh, was that the uh, opponents um, are, the, the supporters of uh, the current gun laws got very upset that Governor Hickenlooper even suggested we start the conversation. So um, I, I don't want to talk too much about, I, sorry, I, I feel like I want to be empathetic. Well, I think here's this the is not our shtick to talk about this really intense stuff. We're we're a little too light for that, but we kind of have to. But we can talk about guns. Yeah, we, we can talk about guns. guns. Let's talk about. And I think, so I, I mean, want to talk about guns. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> can we talk about guns? <laughs> well, I think I don't know. I because I haven't. You know, we're recording early again. I haven't had a chance to listen to what you talked about. Uh, it was just very quickly. Jared just said it's crazy that uh, Governor Hickenlooper said we need to debate this again. And people said people freaked out just that they don't even want to talk about it. Right, that's the ridiculous point. I uh, guess. And and now is the now I believe and this is the best time to talk about it when we don't when we have all of this uh, attention. You know, we we talked about this on a podcast that unfortunately had a bad sound quality with uh, Mara Wiles, but right. that was a big topic because Aurora had just happened. But when we talk about, you know, gun control, it's like why we're going to the news media and, and we all tend to focus attention on these things that really don't matter. You know, well, all of the at least in the, in the big picture, we're looking for uh, we always want to answer why. And we have these these kind of knee jerk reactions. But instead of that, I think it's really healthy to knee jerk to a conversation about guns, because regardless of, uh, you know, that ideally, eventually that's going to take us to a place of talking about mental health care. I mean, it, it doesn't it? mean that just because it has. I think that the uh, I, I it guess. absolutely has. I mean, if you look at uh, even with with Hick, what he has said, you know, there's a lot of it. Just because we're talking about guns doesn't mean we're talking about gun control and doesn't right. mean we're talking about gun control, harsher gun control measures. Certainly the conversation in our history has always re- revolved around that, but it doesn't have to. 
And it can also include a middle ground. Just because we're talking about gun control doesn't mean we're talking about taking away everybody's every single type of gun in the world. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Assault weapons. And that's one of the things that Hicks said. It's actually, you know, he, he said it's time to have a conversation about a potential ban on assault style weapons. Um, you know, how many magazines are being sold uh, and if they're being sold to people with men- with histories of serious mental health issues. And those are very reasonable things to talk about. And I guess I guess I see what you're saying about how talking about gun control necessarily leads to talking about mental health issues. And I think that it would be important to talk about people with mental health issues having access to guns. But I think that the problem when, when I say that I want to talk about, have a, a dialogue, is, is that I don't think our society takes it too seriously until something happens, you know, about right. people's mental health. And, and it's kind of like identifying potential problems and, and treating people. And, and, you know, we're, I mean, our general, generally, we're not very good at obviously providing health. Um, Healthcare, Healthcare in, general. In, general. in general. So then to extend it to something as abstract in many ways as, as mental, mental health. health. I don't you know, know if it's that. I mean, there was just a, a few weeks ago uh, a, uh, an article in the Post that I happened to save about, um, about scientists who are studying whether or not um, gun violence should be treated as a public health issue. And they're out of UC uh, Davis, California, or okay. U- uh, University of California, Davis. But one of the comments that one of the people that the Denver Post looked to for comment was Denver's police chief. And he said, um, it's not going to do any harm to look at it from a public health perspective, which I thought was really interesting coming from a law enforcement uh, official to say something like that. And I think that's the kind of, uh, you know, carrying that conversation over. I think if we start talking about it in this way, then it might be that this leads to, you know, guns become equated more with the mental health conversation. Stepping away from the mental health issue for just a second, do you think that the the current gun rights have gotten a little out of hand? I mean, you think about Colorado, where historically we're the Wild West, and there was a point in Colorado history where you would have to check your gun at the door. Uh, and now people are pushing to be allowed to carry a concealed weapon anywhere at all times. And that is not something that has been part of American history f- forever. Uh, even whenever the, se- you know, long after the Second Amendment was ratified, uh, there were still ways to control the, the violence. So do you think uh, we've let it slide a little too far? Uh, or... Is this legit that we should be allowed to carry a concealed weapon? And it's that's not the issue, and that instead it is it is strictly a mental health issue. I think that's that's certainly part of it. If you look at what's happened, I mean, there were the, during the entire first four years, while well, we're still in that of the Obama administration, you see what kind of uh, you know the the NRA has been very successful in expanding where guns can be used. So we look back to Trayvon, the Trayvon Martin case. And make my day turned into this like neighborhood, basically like and you can't you don't just get to shoot people who are breaking into your home and get a free pass on it. You can now shoot people who are wandering around your HOA. Right. So it's like, yeah, I mean, that's that is definitely an extension and expansion of gun rights that this that flew totally under the radar for most. Of the, I don't know how many states actually have that in place now. There are there are many. It's not just Florida. So, so Josh Berman, uh, you've you've spent an, an extraordinary amount of time in Central America, in countries like Nicaragua and Belize, where uh, this sort of violence is not common, but war and guns are an issue in these countries. Have, have you seen any difference uh, between the way they handle gun control in those countries versus the way we handle it here in the United States? 
I don't know. There's a bit of lawlessness, you know, in some of the rural areas down there where I lived in, out in the in the campo of Nicaragua, where people it really is kind of like cowboy country. But I've never heard of these kind of insane massacres happening in, I mean, almost any other country. I mean, there's the odd Norway mm-hmm. incident recently, but uh, no, I mean, there's a lot more gun presence down there. You see a lot more armed security guards outside of businesses, especially mm-hmm. in the cities. Uh, but as far as e- events like this, where this is pretty unique. Yeah, Josh. I think. I mean, I think if we're going to look at this in terms of prevention, um, gun control certainly plays a relevant, and as does mental health. But it, a, a holistic approach, I think, would also include the media not mentioning the name, like having it be an anonymous. The person goes down in history, and and also I think there's a greater sort of philosophical or or spiritual thing here, and. That would be that, um, and I don't remember when this was, but Obama, before President Obama, Senator Obama, said in a speech one time that this country has, is in a crisis of compassion. Yes. And so if you look at, like, why aren't these style of meaningless, semi-random shootings happening, it's, you have to look at our, at our culture and figure out what that is. And I think it's that we all are so individualized, hyper-individualized, that, we, that there are some of us, and this is a mental health issue maybe, but it's also you know, a, a spiritual, cultural crisis. Th- that we lack empathy. That's you a know? really interesting... That it's easy to do. Right. That's an interesting point, I think, and, and it leads to... We, it's, it goes back to what you said. We were, I think Josh and I were both listening to NBR yesterday, and one of the um, solutions that was put forth was that the media not... or uh, that, the, uh, that uh, officials not release the names of these shooters because mm-hmm. then, you know, we... we in some ways, memorialize we them, deify them, sure, yeah. sure. And so, and and so, to take that to, why is it so important? And that was exactly what happened yesterday. That news, CNN is covering this nonstop with very little real information. I mean, right. what you know, what is the point of finding out more information about these shooters at least right away? What, how is that helping us do anything? They, well, there's I mean, certainly no need to know. There, there's not, a, there's not a major need to know. You know, there is a, there is a tricky balance to strike because the victims and the people that are affected by the, by what happens, they want a certain level of coverage and attention to be put on what happened. Uh, so they, they'll feel slighted if the media doesn't say enough. But the, it does seem like sometimes the media is saying too much. Do you also think that maybe the issue here is that you know, as a country. Uh, yeah, aside from 9-11, we, we don't see a lot of like violence on a grand scale here in this country. And violence itself is sort of an abstract thing for a lot of people. For a kid growing up in Connecticut, he's never seen it before other than you know in the media, in video games, and all these different places. Do you think it's just that he doesn't understand how fucking serious this is uh and 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 so he doesn't realize he he doesn't realize the gravity of what he's doing because he doesn't live in a place where violence is prevalent yeah it's a it's a kind of desensitization desensitized yeah the violence the only violence you experience is in fiction yeah he's desensitized to it It, all the violence he's used to is fictional uh and uh, he's yeah he doesn't see it anywhere else so he doesn't have any sort of this urge to stop the violence. I think that takes us to a really interesting conversation about uh, how race and eth- and ethnic groups and different cultures and, and economic groups plays into our, you know, the way we approach this culturally, because that isn't true That's right. for a lot of people who live in very poor neighborhoods where they experience violence every day. I right. mean, you look in the paper, like just this last week in, in Denver, 
on Thursday night, there was a 17-year-old who was shot in Northwest Denver. Uh, on the same day, there was a uh, woman uh, who was shot at the Westminster, uh, a Westminster hotel. It was a, a, and the gunman killed himself afterwards. I mean, these are happening in our community every day, but we're not, we definitely aren't talking about those. If it's not on a mass scale, right. it doesn't come into your living room for, as a conversation. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It, but it, it is interesting to note that most of these, these sort of these massacres that are going on are, they're perpetrated by a white individual, um, males, middle class, white middle class males uh, who aren't seeing violence on a day to day basis, and so their their concept of it it might be skewed. I don't know. It's it's just a theory I'm playing with. I really have no idea. It's it's not a it's not a problem that the four of us sitting around uh, Josh's lovely dining table are going to solve today uh but it is worth having a conversation and i you know i do want this is sort of our holiday issue so i do want to throw out our our condolences to those folks in connecticut it's it's the only other state that starts with co so we got you know we got to show some love right <laughs> all right anyway let's let's move on uh that this, was very strange yeah that was <laughs> i want to retract what ron just said <laughs> All right, all right. Let's 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 move on. This week's episode is brought to you by Illegal Pete's. Uh, on December twenty first, uh, check out Seriously Moonlight and Fist at the downtown Illegal Pete's. Uh, show starts at nine p.m. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to have Josh Berman talk with us about uh, the Mayans. Are we all going to die? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Denver Diatribe. That was Dale Voorhees, a special Christmas song by the band Kissing Party. Uh, Kissing Party will be having their second annual Kissing Party Christmas party at the Skylark Lounge on Saturday, December 22nd. Comedians Ben Roy, Adam Caton Holland, and Chris Sharpentier will be there. There will be performances by Kissing Party, uh, Little's Paya, Shady Elders, and Safe Boating is No Accident, and maybe others, they say. Covers $5. Show starts at 9 p.m. Maybe you'll be there doing a Wasted performance. Maybe I'll be there. <laughs> Off stage. <laughs> Off stage, doing a thing. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter because, you know, the world might be coming to an end. Mm. All right. Can, uh, Josh Berman. Hi. How are you, man? It's good to see you. It's been a long time. I'm doing great, Ron. I think the last time I saw you, we were actually in New York together. Probably. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I've seen you since then. Uh, since the last uh, you know, writers' conference we were at at the same time. But uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming in. Uh, you've been on a, like a crazy whirlwind, whirlwind tour uh, promoting your book, uh, the Moon Guide uh, Maya 2012. It's the guide to celebrations in Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, and Honduras uh, that are celebrating the the end of the 13th Bactun, uh, the end of the Mayan calendar as we know it. That's correct. Uh, which happens. Uh, as this podcast comes out on December 21st. So happened at 4.12 a.m. this morning at the hour of the winter solstice of 2012. It's uh, The most amazing thing about it is that the date 
is real. You know, all this hype and apocalypse nonsense that's been tagging along for the ride the last couple of years is not. And But what I did when looking into this issue and writing this book, and mostly centered around travel, the idea of the opportunity to travel and to be aware of the Maya culture, I found out that truth is way more interesting and remarkable than the fiction in, in so many ways with this story. Yeah, I mean, you get into things like the, just the fact that the Mayan people, this culture that was just thousands of years old, had an, a calendar advanced enough that it could get things right down to the minute uh, this way. And and I, I've always wondered if that's part of the reason why it's been such so mysterious is because people have wondered for a long time how are the Mayans able to calculate their calendars so accurately. Uh, and for them to declare an end, I, I think maybe have freaked people out. Yeah, Josh. Josh uh, Johnson. So before we go any further. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm with they you. Had, they had a, a National Geographic recently. It was on their online thing. Posted top 10 greatest discoveries of 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and number three, I believe, was a cave where they found My- Mayan glyphics of some sort mm-hmm. that actually were a calendar beyond this. Sure. And it's, it's that, really... you know what I'm talking about? I do. And they had originally said it was a second reference to 2012 because only one written reference exists to the date 13 Baktun, which most people do believe correlates to December 21st, 2012. There also exists many scores of other dates of they call them deep time dates dates that go way beyond 2012,000 even millions of years into the future and into the past and some archaeologists or academics would say that in itself is proof that the Mayans never intended anything to happen or to end in any way on the, except for the 13th Baktun and the 14th Baktun begins tomorrow so the 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 presence of these deep time dates they would say yes can possibly uh indicate that there was no intention uh for anything to happen in 2012 hmm. uh josh i have a question for you so uh okay. probably the beginning of <laughs> josh <Matthew>. berman <laughs> <laughs> we've so been ready for this uh proper uh, noun probably confusion. like in may i heard a a really interesting um program uh, or a really interesting piece on latino usa uh, where they went down to, I think they were in Guatemala, maybe, and they were talking to some Maya leaders. And I think uh, it's kind of curious the way that we, uh, people tend to speak about Maya as gone. But right. that's, I mean, right. I, I haven't read your book. You just brought one for me today. Thank you, by the way. Um, interested to read it. But can you tell us about your experience actually writing the book, like your, uh, what you've come across with culturally today, the Maya today, and sure. how they're how they're looking at, all of these kind of, you know, events around, around the world. Sure. Yeah. The, I mean, this all came out of travel. I, I first went to Central America as a Peace Corps volunteer in 1998 in Nicaragua. I learned Spanish. I learned the culture there. I ended up writing the first comprehensive guidebook to Nicaragua for Moon Travel Guides with my co-author Randy Wood. And then I, and I started hearing these tales from, from the north. You know, we, we would meet up. We'd be stuck in Managua. Uh, during our assignment there, and we would meet these travelers who would come come down. They had just been to Tikal in Guatemala. They had just been to Copan in Honduras, and we'd hear these stories of lost Maya cities. So it, for me, it, it first came about with as as a travel opportunity. So I did end up making my way north into the Maya region, which includes the five southern states of Mexico, all of Guatemala, all of Belize, parts of Honduras, and El Salvador. It's called Mesoamerica. It's where the Maya 
lived and reigned during the Classic period, which came to an end. We think there may have been as many as 10 million of them. Uh, they abandoned their cities in 900 AD after thriving for five or six centuries as one of the most advanced civilizations on the planet, as we alluded to before. They did not disappear. They abandoned their cities. They spread out. They changed locations uh, in response to what still is a, a bit of the mystery. Then the Spanish came in the 1500s and, and further decimated their numbers. But they still survived and are back up to probably about 10 million people of Maya descent that exist today in that region and living abroad, doing, you know, doing what we do, surviving day by day. But they really, you know, when we talk about them as a group, it's problematic to say the modern Maya or the living Maya because they really are a diverse group. They speak 30 different languages, not dialects, 30 distinct Mayan languages uh, are still surviving. Some of them are about to die. There's only a handful of speakers left. But they are a diverse, incredible group that lives throughout that region. And for me, one of the most positive aspects of this 2012 story, Beyond the Hype, is it's been kind of their time to shine and to see what the world can learn from them and, and what questions we can ask about them. And from my perspective, what, you know, going, traveling down there and talking to them directly because. Like I said, there's a lot of them in all those countries. So please indulge me if you... <laughs> my... That's all we do. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what this whole show is. Oh, come on. We do it to you, too. Between the two of you? Yeah, it is kind of, it is kind of like, let's, let's let Josh and Ron say something ridiculous and then just right. deal with it. Uh, if you will, entertain me for a moment. Let's, let's play the little game. Let's pretend... So, I, I have this this very like age of Aquarius outlook on the whole 2012 situation uh, that this is actually going to be the beginning of a new era uh, for our society and that the Mayans sort of predicted that. I don't know if that's true or not. I'd rather play the game of we're fucked and <laughs> shit's going down. So I wanted to talk about what sh what should we do here in Colorado? I think we're in a good place. If if an, if an apocalypse happened. Um, what what should we do here in Colorado to prepare, and where should we go? I mean, what where would you go? Uh, I'm just going to go around and ask each of you, where would you go if if today was the last day that Earth is uh, that the human civilization as we know it uh, j it was just coming to an end? So it's that kind of apocalypse. There's many different types of apocalypse. Right. Yeah. I, all right. And do I, we not get to fight? Is do we be get based to fight? on whether it's a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> can we can we nerd it out a little and let's people let's, are going to heaven and just, I'm stuck here. No, it's not. <laughs> it's it's very not going to be things. the. No, it's not going to be that sort of apocalypse. It's going to be some sort of like cataclysmic change is going to happen, and the world's going to be completely different. Where we have to prepare because the world as we know it is is fucked. Um, let's, let, let's say, I don't know, let's, let's establish some ground rules before we start this little game here. But it, what sort of apocalypse do you want, Josh? You can, one where you, I'm still living. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's say, let's say. And people like me are as well. And, and people like you. And people, yeah. People, More, people, people like similar to me. So let's, let's <laughs> say it's the sort of all, all forms of government have collapsed. Okay. Uh, all forms of, of standard commerce have collapsed, and and pe it's sort of and there's no oil. Let's throw some big oil stuff. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. No, no oil. Good. Okay. And, and the planet smells of dog food. It's just a detail <laughs> I want to throw out. It sounds like it'd be difficult to deal with. And there's a it's like Purina plant all over the there's all a low over the place. humming buzz noise, <laughs> like there is in Boulder apparently sometimes. Apparently, you heard it. I did. I heard it at Vanessa's house. It's strange. But it's, and there's that as well. 
Okay. All right. So that's that's your scenario. Yeah, I would go to Northern Canada. You would you would leave Colorado. You would not stay here. No. Why would you too, go to? I think it's too populated in NORAD and all that. I think that it's too populated. I would go to a place that like if I go into Northern Canada or parts of Alaska or something and build a cabin and hunt. Okay. I think I could. I, I right now I think I probably suck at it, but you know. It's. It seems like it's. No one's going to think to go there. You have might, you, have you, you might you die the, on the way though. I, was gonna, I Have you read this little way. book by John Krakauer called Into the Wild, or yeah, seen right. the movie? Right. The movie. You know, the one with Eddie Vedder. Yeah. Don't eat the purple berries. Don't eat the purple berries. <laughs> Don't eat the purple berries. That grass that looks like it's edible. Mm-hmm. It's. It's slightly different. The the wild potatoes. Don't go for the wild potatoes. I would have to meet up with some people probably. I think. So yeah, you would. Would you? Would you band up or would you go it alone? I would want to band up. I think that the isolation would drive me nuts. It wouldn't be a life worth living in isolation. Yeah. How about you, Vanessa? Would... Um, I would probably go to where NORAD used to be inside of Cheyenne Mountain because mm, they abandoned yeah. that place. And, uh, you know, it's it's prepared. It's ready to go. Yeah. I mean, you can get, well, the gas wouldn't be there, but they, they were even able to get pizza deliveries up there. But, you mm-hmm. know, they're, 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 it's stockpiled. There's so there's got to be stockpile in there. If not, it's, got, it's, it's prepared to stockpile, and you could survive some bombings and... You know, whatever happens, some sh- shit goes down. Zombies won't be able to get in. Well, we can hang out because I've I, I uh, bought a share in one of the bunkers under the Denver International Airport. And ah! there are the tunnels, right? Oh, so, of course. Yes, our our co-host Jared Jakang Mayer uh, runs a website uh, called DIA Conspiracy Files. He is he is the reigning expert on all the crazy batshit stories about uh, DIA. Yeah. So he's right there with you. I he'll think... be there. Yeah, he'll be. He's the leader. He'll be there. Yeah. yeah. Well, if it's, I mean, if you look at uh, John Hodgman's Apocalypse Survival Guide, we are above the level of the blood wave that he's predicted <laughs> in, in Colorado. So, uh, all right, no, continue. So it's we a... only have to worry about the all dog pack. He said all the dogs in North America are going to band together and, and kind of. That is around. so. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. And we'd be in a big trouble with that because there's and what, what? What did they say? Something like there's two dogs for every person in Colorado or something like that? Yeah, Boulder, oh. Boulder's done. Boulder's, yeah. Boulder's yeah, Boulder. screwed. I, I wouldn't <laughs> whenever, Boulder. whenever all the dogs stand together. <laughs> well, I mean, what else? Uh, where, where would you, You're going to go to DIA, to the, to the basement. Who, who, uh, what are you going to prepare? Uh, how are you going to get ready for this? So I'm actually, I'm going to DIA, and I'm getting on a plane to Belize City, actually, and then I'm taking a, a Jeep uh, to Caracol Archaeological Site with the Director of Archaeology, Dr. Jaime Awe, and uh, we're going to all you're, ride, you're, ride it No, out. see, okay, let's back up, because yeah. you're talking about fact. Yeah, this is yeah. something you are actually Yeah, but doing. I like it, because it's, it's really good. I mean, it, it, sound, it, it sounded <laughs> like the beginning of an apocalypse book, but you're actually doing that. That's where you're, you're going to be uh, in Belize. I'm going to be at, at Mayan Ruin. an old city in the middle of the jungle, uh, literally, in, in one of the, the vastest expanses of tropical forest in western Belize that flows into the Peten wilderness in Guatemala and uh, which is where Tikal is located another another one of the big yep. more famous Mayan ruins Caracol archaeological site is famous because they discovered uh, an inscription um, that that says basically that Caracol defeated Tikal in battle and silenced them their scribes for 130 years oh interesting and then Tikal this is a little callback to the newsy bits Tikal is actually featured in the movie Star Wars the original 1977 movie, there's a scene right before they go to fight the Death Star. From the top of Temple 4. From the top of Temple 4, there's a dude with, with binoculars looking out over the jungle. That's actually Tikal. Wow. Uh, in, oh, shit. Then that's why Guatemala. we need to build the Death Star. Exactly. <laughs> or the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> or wow. the Millennium Falcon, which is actually getting built. 
So, okay, all right. Um, I don't know where I would go. I think, I, I mean, I'd have to, I got, I, I got all this, you know, little tiny baggage with me, these children that I have to lug around. You do too, Josh. You, you got the children. I so. do, the children of the 14th Bakhtun. Children of the 14th Bakhtun. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I'm going to call my kids that from here on out. <laughs> you are my children of the 14th Bakhtun. You must save me. I'm from the old ways. <laughs> but uh, I think I'd, I'd just head for the hills. I think, I think I'd pick a, a somewhat remote, remote city here. With in all your guns? I have no guns. I would go get my father's there's guns. No food up there, man. And my father-in-law's guns. There's sure, no, there's, there's no food. Paonia. In, I'd no... go to Paonia. Lots of farmers. There's yeah, there are. Of, there's, there's no, there's no food. food in northern Canada. Yeah, there's. Yeah, yeah there is. There's a lot more wildlife. Oh, you're going. You're going. Oh, for yeah, the, hunting. You're seal blubber. Wildlife. Seal okay. blubber. Yeah. You know, actually, what I I probably yeah. fishing. Paonia, I'm telling you. They're, they've they, they, they've kind of got a survivalist mentality anyway. I think they, they do, but I think that their agriculture is too dependent on oil. I think yeah. to maintain all those orchards, they're only going to be producing a quarter of what they're. I just, now, I just need, I need to be, be somewhere. I over. just need to be somewhere with enough fertilizer that I can grow a considerable amount of uh, stuff on my own, and and then also that I can make a bomb pr- to protect myself. So that's really a all. A bomb, I'll... Ron. Sure. I don't think a bomb is the best way to protect yourself. <laughs> Why not? Mines, maybe, but a single bomb. Don't go near that guy. He's a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Are going to throw your bomb You're at definitely going to be in, isolated. Riding in on horses. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. what we need. That's a skill that no one, none of these survivalist people are taking up again is horse riding. Not true. I think that's, really? Yep, not the, true. The, so the, the sale of horses are equestrian as well. Excuse me? They're, they're, they're equestrian survivalists as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and actually, I think I, I said this. I'd like to try and get the guy who was just profiled in the New York Times, who's one of the like leading survivalists, on the show because he's very interesting. You know, these people tend to be associated with complete crazy wackadoos who, to go back to guns, they have these conferences that become like gun shows. Yeah. Um, but more recently, he's been able to attract people who are like part of the organic food movement, lots of sustainability. Like, you know, it's it's a changing face of, of survivalism. It's not just the, you know, hardcore... Uh, right wingers that I think everybody. Well, I have there. this theory. I have this. We theory should do a survivalist episode. We that should. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Josh. Go on. What are you? I, say? Have, I have this theory that, in terms of the political spectrum, right versus left, that that both sides sort of have this idea that things are going to go terribly wrong, right. as we're talking about, and so the right, out of fear, starts arming themselves, and the left, out of hope, I hate to use the word. <laughs> Starts learning skills so that you can have a future. So it's like one is like defend yourself as long as you can, and the other is like it's maybe good things to know. Sure, because you feel vulnerable. But that's know? the thing that these that, that's the, the that's how the survivalist move the actual survivalist movement is changing is that it's it's made it a lot more moderate. So it's not just learning how to protect yourself with weapons. So they do like uh, trainings on how to use a gun, you know, when when you need to in a very safe way, but also how to grow your own food. Right. Um, they, they also do things about, uh, like, I've, I've heard about them doing things like uh, learning how to negotiate in small groups and weird yes. stuff like that. Yes. Because they what assume... about medics? Very, very... Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Medicine would be really interesting. Yeah. You know, the anarchists have the street meds. Yeah. There's All the right. whole, uh, you look at the whole transitions movement. I mean, they, they, they're, they're no. covering this. There's local chapters all over what's going to happen in peak oil. No, this, I mean, this, prep, this preparation thing, we can joke about buying bunkers and gas masks, but my parents just went 13 days without power in right. Hurricane Sandy. And I, th- right. and I think and, you know, for everyone to, to realize you need electricity to pump gas and everything, how related it all was, I think that's 
making it more of a practical issue. No, I, yeah. it's 100% true. All right. Well, th- <clears throat> thanks for entertaining my, my crazy <laughs> – Delusions. My delusions. Uh, let's let's backtrack and presume that the world is going to continue, and that that night uh, we'll be able to have a good time. Jo- Josh, do you have any uh, any events that you're going to be going on here in Colorado that'll be worthy on the 21st, aside from the the uh, the kissing uh, kissing parties, second annual kissing Christmas party that we talked about, and besides for any other concert or party that's you know calling themselves into the world now there's some real um thoughtful events happening uh today friday december 21st the future today i mean yeah this this whole space time (laughs) uh, right now the fact we're we're in the past talking to you future (laughs) hello future so on yeah so on december 21st there's stuff going on yeah uh so in boulder at the avalon ballroom a group of of kind of tribal fusion bands tiero and canal and buddha bomb are getting together and doing like a 12-hour marathon it's going to begin with a with a maya ceremony from from omrak who's a a guatemalan priestess who's in the area right now and yeah and really kind of have some intention to treating this as a cycle change uh, like you said um a positive opportunity to enter a new age and and yeah, I mean, people. If you look at what you know, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, it's what's happening now. It's what we've been talking about this entire show. It's this period of chaos, and maybe that's the norm. But uh, Rigoberto Menchu Tun, the uh, Nobel Peace Laureate, who's a Maya indigenous woman from from Guatemala, she's the bomb. Said in a statement in a film that was made um, by Peace Jam, which is right here, yeah. just right here in Denver. Do you? Um, the 2012, the, the the true Mayan prophecy that we're in a. She she declared it a 40 year period of chaos from 1992 to 2032, and this this cycle change is just you know one little moment. It's just one part of that. So it's not nothing, nothing that's going to happen on the dawn of the 21st. It's just this is. Uh, humanity's evolution. A transition period. Yeah. God bless her. She's uh, going right. right along with my theory, too. I like there that, too. Go. If you're not quite so into truly cultural things, a Trinity Brewing down in Colorado Springs uh, is doing a collaborative beer um, called Little Death Ride uh, that they're going to be releasing with Black Fox Brewing. Uh, they're going to be having a party that night where they're doing best zombie costumes, and uh, they're going to be tapping... Uh, they're going to have 750 mil bottles of this, and they're tapping one single keg, and this will be the only time they'll ever make this beer. Uh, so that'll be going on on the 21 on December 21st, and then uh, Crazy Mountain Brewing uh, in Edwards, Colorado. This might Edwards might be a good place to go. Yeah, it, too close to Vail. Yeah. Cl- <laughs> yeah, but Vail's going to be gone. Yeah, it's going to be wiped, Vail's so it doesn't be matter. A problem. <clears throat> um, they're they're going to be celebrating. They're going to be having an end of the world party as well. Uh, they say they'll party like there's no Tamaya. Oh, waka waka. Yeah. $2 pint specials. <laughs> go out with a bang. It, what kind of bang <laughs> is up to you? Uh, so there, there are, there are going to be events going on. Uh, Josh, if folks want to find out more about uh, just Mayan culture in general or the Mayan people, where, where do you, where do you point folks whenever they ask that question? So, uh, FAMSI, F-A-M-S-I, I believe it's FAMSI.org, and, mm-hmm. and that's a, a group of, of both professional academics who study Maya, uh, all aspects of, of Maya culture, and also amateurs, too, and that's, uh, they've got a great mailing list. That's where I find all the breaking news, because there's discoveries still happening all the time. The pace of discovery in the Maya world, I mean, it's still unbelievable. I mean, Indiana Jones is alive and well uh, down there. There's, you know, mo- most of that ancient Maya world is still 
yet to be uncovered uh, from the jungle growth. But yeah, uh, you can go to, my site is joshuaberman.net. I have a number of blogs. One of them is totally dedicated to the Mundo Maya, which is on my publisher's site at moon.com. And I talk about events, mostly travel opportunities and practical events associated with 2012. And, and like I said, I mean, this is a great, it's, the, the Maya culture has been brought to the consciousness of the world. You know, in some cases, it's just joking or, or cartoons or about running out of space on the calendar or whatever. But uh, no, there's, there's some really great serious things to be discovered, both for a traveler or for a, uh, an archaeologist. Do you take tours? Do you I, gu- or guide tours, I mean? I do guide tours. I'm, I'm an Outward Bound instructor, and, and I've led some volunteer uh, alternative breaks vacations throughout Central America. Uh, these days, uh, I am, I'm starting a tour company that's going to be based in Nicaragua, Joshua Berman Signature Tours. Wow. But at the moment, there are, I would definitely send people more toward uh, other tour companies that specialize in the Maya world for pure Maya geeks, the ones that'll get you to as many Maya archaeological sites as you want or get you, you know, with lectures with the experts. Or better yet, you can go independently and get yourself to one of those remote Maya villages and tap into one of those community-based rural tourism efforts and where your money's going straight into their hands. Because, I mean, it's, we talked about how many Maya there were before, but they are one of the most disen- disenfranchised people with, with a very little voice in, in that area. So, and it's very rare to be able to find you know, a, a business in tourism that they own and you can support. And that's what I've tried to pull out in each region in this book. And then, and then nice folks, work. Yeah, yeah. Well. And then folks also are going to be, uh, if folks are also looking for more information about Josh, you can find him in his Denver Post column that he writes uh, for them as well. Once a month uh, in the Out West section. It's usually the last Tuesday of the month. My uh, column this week on the 18th of December. And it basically said, you know, it's about travel in, in the West. But, the, you know, December 21st is like any other day. We can sleep in and ignore it or we can wake up and get up early and, and go out and greet it. Yeah, bravo. Okay, perfect. Well, let's let's uh, move on to love and hate. By the way, just a reminder for for all of us sitting around the table. This this podcast is actually going to sort is sort of our Christmas podcast too. We're we're skipping Christmas. We're not talking about it. We're talking about this other holiday. Well, this so is fine. our last podcast until 2013. Right? No, I think that we have one more. I don't know. We'll mm-hmm. see. We, it might be our last until 2013. We, we'll, we'll figure that out. You folks, listeners, you don't worry about that, but I'm <laughs> going to wish you Merry Christmas anyway. Uh, if you're into that, I'm going to wish you uh, a, a, to have a nice Shabbat Yalda, if that's the sort of thing you celebrate on the 21st, and Happy Hanukkah and Happy Solstice if you're, if you're uh, Wicca and all that Kwanzaa. sort of thing. So, but anyway, all right, loves and hates. Can we, can we do Festivus. that? Festivus. 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 For the best of us. For the rest of us. For the rest of us. Yeah. All right, Josh, you got anything? Love and hate? I do. Um, I went to love on, uh, I went to Boulder Beta. It's called, it's a startup um, event mixer. mixer in Boulder, and that showcases some startups. Um, so I'm going to love on that, but also these two guys that were there started an app called Buzzam, I think, or Buzzam. Their website is buzzbuzz.am. And essentially what it is, is it's a free, you can get it from your iPhone's app store. It's a personalized radio station. So essentially what your favorite music feed, like Pandora or right. Spotify or something, it feeds in music, but then you can select news, and not only news, but what sources you want to get it from, local weather, traffic updates, and your social media updates, and a whole host of other different topics that then a DJ pops in in between songs and updates you. 
Sweet. That's that's cool. Vanessa. Um, I'm going to actually love on something not from the week, but from the year. And it goes back to uh, back in September. We had a couple of guests on. They were the uh, they're the organizers of Boulder Startup Week. And we had them on and, and we were lamenting the um, this quote unquote scene in Denver and how it was, oh, lackluster comparatively. And um, since then, but as that was happening, we were way off base. Uh, there were a lot of people organizing Denver Startup Week. There's been a lot of uh, energy around uh, bringing more uh, business and attention to innovations based in Denver, startups in Denver. Galvanize has just opened. Uh, Denver Startup Week was a, a, a real success. And so I want to love on Denver's uh, startup community. Look at you. Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to piggyback on that and love on you for not uh, hating on it. Wow. <laughs> for a change. <laughs> It is the holidays, isn't it? <laughs> Tis the season. All right, uh, Josh Berman. I'm I'm loving the Taquitos Jalisco taco truck that I found on my way over here. Uh, the options were tongue tripe, which is a buche, a little word I just learned, yep. and uh, and beef tacos. And for five bucks, I got a full belly and some delicious tacos in denver if you're looking for that it's it's at um, bruce Third. randolph and downing right sort of near the parking lot of the down and out super yeah we don't get uh we don't get that level of authenticity in north boulder no <laughs> no i'm gonna i'm gonna hate on the twisted pine brewing company uh big easy brown <laughs> offbeat brown ale that we're drinking right now this beer is brewed with wasabi honey ginger and horseradish and it's um, it didn't need to be <laughs> it's it's kind of revolting so i'm gonna i'm gonna hate on that beer but i'm gonna love on you guys for being willing to try it because holy moly that's uh that's something else it's it's like they brewed the beer while eating uh their japanese restaurant leftovers and actually spilled it into the kettle so uh kind of gross and then uh, and then i'm gonna love on uh on my on my co-host from denver diatribe it's been a good year and uh thanks so love you ron oh <laughs> schmoopy all right well that's all the love and hate we have for this week if you'd like to share a little of your own love and hate please leave us a brief message at 720-282-YELL that's 720-282-9355 our theme music is by tj miller from his extended play ep and our web hosting is provided by bluechannel.com for more information about denver diatribe or any of our guests uh this week this is an old script uh, <laughs> by our guest josh berman uh check out our website denverdiatribe.com or search for denver diatribe on twitter or facebook i'm ron doyle on behalf of my co-hosts and josh berman thanks for listening have you heard the birds at the words denver high average income roll like big spenders affordable housing good money lenders low obesity no need for suspenders 